that frees us He makes us more than conquerors It's Jesus, the King that freed us He made us more than conquerors No matter what, Jesus. No matter what, you give us the power to sing these words. You give us the grace and the strength, Lord. So we raise our hallelujahs this morning. Amen. And I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. And I raise a hallelujah Louder than the unbelief And I raise a hallelujah My weapon is a melody And I raise a
hands joined together Reaching the world with hope and love And as your glory is seen in us Nations will come to You 
everyone. I trust that you are doing well this morning um, as we focus on our new series that we started last week called Being Fruitful on the Front Lines. I'd like to recap on one or two things that were said last week that I think is quite significant in our journey leading through the next six weeks as we focus on the different M's. One of the things that was mentioned by Pastor Louis last week was that we were each given a field which the Lord can turn into a frontline for us and display His kingdom in and through us. One of the things that we know is that God is reconciling the world back to Himself. Each of us have been called to be a frontline agent, an ambassador for the kingdom. In 2 Corinthians 
5, verse 17 to 20, it says the following. Therefore, if any was in anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And as committed to the message of reconciliation, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to the world through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so we know that this is quite an important mission that we are on. Our front lines are spaces where God can appeal to the world through us a message of reconciliation. Today, we are focusing on our first M, and that is one of the ways that God can use to reconcile the world to himself. Our first M today is called Modeling Godly Character. Modeling godly character. I wonder if you've ever come across a person or encountered a person that has lived out godly character before you and has impacted you significantly. Or whether you have modeled out godly character in a situation or a circumstance that has changed that circumstance or left room for the kingdom of God to be displayed. In December 2012, there was a cross-country race that took place in the northern parts of Spain. One of the athletes that was participating in this race's name was Abel Mutea. Abel Mutea was 10 meters away from the finish line where he completely came to a stop. And the reason for that was because the signage in that race confused Abel. Behind him was another gentleman running, and his name was Ivan Fernandez. Ivan was a cross-country runner for the country of Spain, and Ivan then noticed that Abel had stopped before the race had been completed. As he got closer to Abel, he, he understood what was actually going on. And as he approached Abel, he kept shouting, Keep running! Keep running! But Abel could not understand what Ivan was saying because he was speaking in Spanish. And as Ivan came even closer, he started pushing Abel towards the finish line. That day, Abel won the race. When the journalist interviewed Ivan and asked him why he had not just passed Abel and won the race himself, he said that actually Abel was the rightful winner. Such a radical story. Obviously, you can imagine that in the sports arena, this calls for a global to topic of talk. The sports world praised Ivan globally for his sportsmanship. And the race went down in history known as the race of integrity. Paul calls forth such radical living from us as believers even more so. In Galatians 5, from verse 22, it speaks, Paul gives attributes towards him. He mentions nine attributes of godly living. I'd like us to turn to Galatians 5, as that will be the context of my message today. 
In Galatians 5 from verse 13, it says the following. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then Paul goes on to mention the works of the flesh. He says in verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this do not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. When Paul wrote this message, he was writing to the church in Galatia where he had established a new church and when he left he then got he heard word that there was a different gospel being preached to the Galatians than the one that he had given them. The gospel that Paul preached was a gospel of grace yet what was taking place and the message that was spreading amongst the early Christians in Galatia was that yes you can be a Christian with what Jesus has done, but you also need to follow the Mosaic law. That's where the big debate came around about uncircumcision versus being circumcised. And Paul's message was one of those where he said, what Jesus has accomplished on the cross was enough. That is salvation. It was enough. Not what has started in the spirit now, we then continue into the flesh. He then lists the nine attributes, which we mentioned in verse 22 of godly living. And Paul, interesting enough, he mentions that the fruit of the Spirit is, which is singular, it's in its singular form, not its plural form. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. I'd like us to think of it this way, not as a basket of different fruit put together, but more in the sense of an orange. If you look at an orange, it is one part. It is one fruit. But as you peel back the layers of the orange, you then see many segments of the orange that are put together. So a part with many segments to it. Interesting enough is that he makes a huge contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit 
of the spirit. The works of the flesh where self self is at the center as opposed to the fruit of the spirit where it is a life shaped by the spirit. I also note as I read that passage of scripture that love is the first mentioned in those godly attributes. A few verses before that in verse 14 in Galatians 5, Paul says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I believe that love is the overarching thing that holds all these many attributes together. In Corinthians 13, it mentions what love is. It says love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, does not boast. And so we see that love holds all these many things together. When Paul speaks in love here, we're also familiar with the four different kinds of love, but the love that Paul mentions in this passage of scripture is agape. It is the love that Jesus showed when he died on the cross. It's it's a sacrificial love that is mentioned here. God is love. It is written in 1 John 4 verse 16. And he wants us to experience his love and then to invite others into that love to be able to experience his love. You see, the reality for us is that godliness is rooted in love. It is rooted in having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, 16 says it like this. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. The world cannot define these attributes for us and neither can we define it for itself. Because if godly character is rooted in love, then love defines gentleness. Love defines kindness. Love defines self-control. But we need a revelation of that love. You see, the Godhead lives in perfect unity with one another, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They know how to give perfect love as well as receive perfect love. It's interesting to note that when Paul introduces his letter in Galatians 1 verse 11, he makes a comment to say, the gospel I preach to you is not of human origin. Rather, I've received this gospel by a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, if we are to live out godly character in our front lines, and if that godly character is rooted in love, we need a revelation of what perfect love is. And the Godhead knows how to do that perfectly. And so the Holy Spirit, I believe, comes and gives us a revelation of that love when he comes and lives inside of us so that we can, by his power, by the Spirit of God, producing the fruit in us to be displayed in every area of our lives. I believe the Holy Spirit does this in three ways. 
And the first way I'd like to mention is that the Holy Spirit gives us a revelation of the Father's immense love for us. In Ephesians 3 verse 18, it says the following, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep the love of Christ is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I think the second way that the Holy Spirit comes and gives us a revelation of this perfect love so that godliness can come out of our lives is that because the Holy Spirit loves the Father and the Son more than we ever could, the Holy Spirit helps us to know how to respond to this perfect love. In Ezekiel 36 verse 26, it says that God will give us a new heart. He says, I will give you a new spirit and I will remove your heart of stone and put a heart of flesh in you. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Heart of flesh here is not the flesh that we mention with the works of the flesh, but more a heart that is responsive to the working and the doing of the Spirit in our lives. And so the Holy Spirit gives us a revelation of the Father's love for us. He gives us a revelation of how to respond to that perfect love. But not only that, the Holy Spirit gives us a revelation of God's love for those around us. The more we have a revelation of the love of God, the more we are transformed by His love and the more we are able to display His love and character to those around us. In 1 John 3 verse 16 to 18, it says this. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. See, for us as believers, we cannot do this on our own. We do this by the power of the Spirit inside of us. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis and he says this. He says, the Christian does not think God will love us because we are good. No, but that God will make us good because he loves us. I'd like us to take a look at a story of someone in our own community now that has allowed the Lord to, by his spirit, to be able to love those around her and display his godly character. Professor Eleanor has been part of our community since 2003. She is currently serving in the northern area with Pastor William as a shepherd and a life group leader. Eleanor has also served on our eldership and we'd like to take a look at Professor Eleanor's story now. Let's have a look at Professor Eleanor's story. 
tackle tertiary education, you'll know that the academic world can be quite daunting. The pace is fast, the assignments are grueling, and the nights are long. And sometimes it's easy to feel like you're just another number in the system. When I started my tertiary studies, I was quite overwhelmed. If I could use one word to describe it, I was scared. I had no idea what I was doing. This was a completely new environment to me. And so I was very lost, me as well as my other um, students, my peers. Imagine you had an experienced professor who was willing to come alongside you personally to show you the ropes. What's the catch, you might ask? How much will it cost me? Well, in this case, no catch, no cost. Let me share a story about someone in our community. Eleanor retired as a UNISA professor about five years ago. Highly regarded for her skill and well-loved for her character, she spent an entire career pouring into the lives of others. She always felt her teaching and research skills were a gift from God and wanted to continue to use them to bless others. And so Eleanor found a way to keep giving, to keep shining Jesus to those around her. At 64, Eleanor volunteers to tutor young, old, and foreign students for free. She teaches two classes every month, teaches individuals and groups, connects with students around their assignments, reads course material, and makes herself available for students in between. And this in addition to many other activities she dives into as opportunities come across her path. Okay, what stands out the most about Professor, I would say is just the love, the radiance of love that just exuberates from her. Um, when you come to her, she's just so welcoming and she's genuinely interested in your life um, as, a as a person. I love how she's um, authentic in her walk with the Lord. This is not, um, the kind of, I, I'm not just saying the Christianese thing, I'm really living the Christianese thing. And we've known Eleanor for quite a number of years. Um, and she's been consistent in her love for the Lord and in living that out practically. Here's someone who gives of her skill and talents in a way that shines Jesus every step of the way. So before I met Eleanor, I was just doing my undergrad and, you know, just going along and um, doing my thing. And when I did my post-grad, um, I encountered words like research proposal and literature review, and I didn't know what those things meant. And then um, she really, you know, she came alongside me and she took time with me and she helped me and she helped me with that. And um, yeah, she, she journeyed with me and helped me come through that successfully. And when we started meeting, she would clarify our assignments, um, help us structure them in a good way, help us write in good academic format. And she just was the calm in the storm that we, we were experiencing. Thank you, Eleanor, for bringing your everyday life before the Lord to use for him to be able to show his kingdom and his character. Such a beautiful story from Eleanor and just the life she's lived. The challenge for us, though, is yes, we know that God wants us to be fruitful on our front lines. Yes, we know that 
living godly lives is rooted in love and that the Holy Spirit gives us a revelation of that love. But the challenge we sit with is that we live in an ungodly world where these godly attributes, these godly characteristics are not valued. I mean, if we just think of meekness, think of gentleness, these are seen as weak attributes in the world. Yet in the kingdom, it is seen as godly. But I love that the Holy Spirit is sent by God to help us to be secure in the Father's love so that we can show His character of godliness by the power of His Spirit and love to the world around us. And irrespective of how they respond, we are secure in the love that we are in, which is a perfect love that drives out fear. If we go back to the passage of scripture we are focusing on today, Galatians 5, we see that Paul, in making a contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, he makes mention four times the importance of walking, being led, and living by the spirit. He says this, walk by the spirit, be led by the spirit, live by the Spirit, keeping step with the Spirit. When Jesus sent his disciples out, in Luke, we notice that Jesus says, before you go out, I want you to wait. I actually want us to turn there. It's found in Luke verse twenty, Luke 24, verse 49. It reads as follows. Then he opened Jesus with his disciples. It says, then he opened their minds, Revelation, so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them this. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead. And on the third day, and sorry, and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus knew that the fruit he wanted to come from the disciples living out the gospel, proclaiming the gospel was not just a fruit that when the disciples were no longer would end there but it would be a fruit that would continue where our lives have been impacted because of the gospel that came about from the early church. And likewise, God wants the fruit on our front lines through living out, modeling godly character to not only be around while we are around, but that it would have generational and eternal weight. You see, fruit cannot be manufactured. Fruit is produced through a relationship and a relationship with the Holy Spirit. If fruit is not manufactured but produced, then how do we partner with the Holy Spirit and allow Him to be able to produce these godly characteristics in our lives? I'd like to look at three things and it's as follows. I think the first thing we need to note is that we acknowledge that we need the Holy Spirit. We cannot 
do any of this. This big, impossible mission, what is impossible with man is possible with God, but by the power of the Spirit. We cannot accomplish this incredible mission without partnering with the Holy Spirit. So we acknowledge our need for the Holy Spirit. The second thing I believe we do as we partner with the Holy Spirit is that we pause to pray. Prayer aligns us to the will of God. It helps us to surrender our will to the will of the Father. The third thing I believe that we do is we choose to trust. We choose to trust that the Holy Spirit has our best interest at heart because His love is good, pure, and perfect. Jesus modeled this so beautifully in leading up to His death. And I'd like us to turn there now in Luke 22, verse 39. It says the following, And Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and His disciples followed Him. On reaching the place, He said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone throw away from them, and he knelt down <clears throat> and he prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed even more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood on the ground. And when he arose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. In the account of Mark, he actually mentions that Jesus goes to his disciples three times and says, wake up, why are you not praying? He says, because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In this passage of scripture, we notice these three things of how Jesus partnered with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. He says, take this cup from me. He acknowledges that he cannot die on the cross. He, he's saying, God, take this cup from me. We see that Jesus prays here. He pauses to pray. He prays three times and it says an angel comes upon him and strengthens him. And we know that in the end, Jesus chose to trust that the Father had his best interest and our best interest at heart when he surrendered completely on dying on the cross. Today, Jesus invites us into that same place to be ambassadors, to be part of the reconciliation of God that is at work constantly, calling the world to a place of being reconciled to him. And we all know that this is possible because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so Jesus made a way of reconciliation but each and every day on our front lines, we are ambassadors that point people towards that way. In Luke 22, from verse 14, we note it says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you 
before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, This, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, you will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it saying, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. The cup speaks of the new covenant with God and his body that was broken. So I'd like us to take an opportunity now to remember what Jesus has done. And as we remember what Jesus has done, that by the power of his spirit, he reminds us that we are constantly partnering with him in this message of reconciliation. I'd like to pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for making a way where there seemed to be no way, making a way for us to be reconciled to Father. Thank you for your body, that was broken. Thank you for your blood that was shed. And we thank you that even today, as we remember your death and resurrection, that we remember you have called us to be co-heirs with you in being messengers of this beautiful gospel of reconciliation. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would use us by the power of your Holy Spirit to be able to model godly character on our front lines as though you were making an appeal to the world to be reconciled to you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that it is not by power, not by might, but that you enable us to be fruitful on our front lines and be witnesses of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that you would go to go and be with each one as they model godly character on their front lines this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Our activation for this week is pause to pray. And so to make space to partner with the Holy Spirit. God bless you and so looking forward to hear the stories in our community as we partner with the Holy Spirit in living godly lives on our front line. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye.